available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. Back, hey, a couple weeks in a row. We're on a roll here, Dave. and uh, hey, We're killing it. We're yeah, killing. like we're actually doing our jobs here. Um, if you <laughs> want to get a hold of us, send us some emails, pack12podcast at gmail.com or tweet us. At Pac-12 Podcast, we like to get the snarky tweets out there. We do that pretty well, I think. Pac-12Podcast.com is the website where you can find all of the past episodes. Uh, you can give us a call, too, if you want. 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. Go to iTunes. You can subscribe, rate us there. Uh, a lot of different ways to get a hold of us. Hope you guys have been enjoying the shows and enjoying Pac-12 football, which... It's just been kind of all over the place, Dave. Yeah, it's been wild. It's been wild. We were just discussing our power rankings, and we had to jumble basically everything between, what, four and nine, because things are just all over the place. Um, it's been a fun season so far. I don't think I'm ready to jump off the bandwagon of there probably not being a playoff team in this group, but it's been, you know, it's been a Pac-12 season. It's been a lot of fun, and we haven't even really gotten into the conference schedule yet. We've only had one uh conference on conference game so far um so i'm i'm excited i'm excited for the conference schedule kicking off here yeah i think that'll be uh it'll be fun to uh discuss all that all the different conference games and i don't know i mean like we still have well we don't want to give anything away but you know stanford and washington still look like yeah the two best shots uh which is amazing for chris peterson to have turned things around Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian took a, you know, 0 and 12 team and, and made him into a, a winning team, but to take it to the next level, that's what's hard. And Chris Peterson looks like he's doing that. We don't want to anoint them too early, especially after Dave picked them to win three games or whatever last year, but still <laughs> they look like a team, uh, to be, to be reckoned with in the Pac 12. So that, you know, there's, there's a little hope there. We, you know, everyone was writing off the Pac 12, Dave, that not being a playoff team, but there's some hope. There's some, some really talented teams. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting with Washington because they, I mean, they've only played, I mean, we'll get into our Washington, Arizona preview, but they haven't played pretty much anyone yet. I mean, the Rutgers is probably their best opponent. Rutgers is not good. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I think we all know Washington's a good team, but it's going to take until a few games into the Pac-12, whether we know if it's a potentially great team. Um, but there's, there's a, there's a lot to like. There's, there's a good general quality in the Pac-12. I just don't know. You just don't know if there's that elite team, but I think we'll find out here pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'm back in the studio, so I have our picks. So I, you know, we wanted to keep track this year because I thought we did a pretty good job against the spread last year. Yeah. So, uh, it was a little less high tech, uh, in week two, Dave. I wrote them down in a notebook instead of writing them down in my Google docs, which I will do from now on. But, um, pick wise, week two, Dave actually beat me. It was seven to three. He had seven wins against the spread against three losses, which is really good. I was six and four, which is actually still pretty good. Um, you know, if you're above five, you want to be, a, you know, above 500 there, but you know, Dave won week two. Uh, I end up winning week three 
there was two pushes, two games that were exact. I think it was like a seven point spread and a three point spread that we, they, we hit on the number, but, um, I was seven, two and two against the spread and Dave was six, three and two. So overall, um, we're, we're tied right now, but doing pretty good against the spread. We haven't had any horrible weeks. Um, I've been 0 and 2 against, you know, picking USC. So we'll see what I do this week. You know, it was funny last year. I think through the first five or six weeks, I picked USC not only wrong against the spread every single time, but I picked them wrong, um, win loss every single week for like <laughs> five weeks of the season. So, um, we've just traded that off now. You, you have the, the, you're not going to pick USC correctly and I will. So. Yeah. That's that's the way we're going now. Right. Um, well, so we'll uh, we'll keep track of our picks again, and uh, hopefully we made you guys a little bit of money. Uh, probably not, but you know, hey, we're we're doing our best out here. Please, please don't listen to our picks. No, yeah. yeah, don't go bet a whole bunch of money on our picks uh, unless you win and you want to share it with us. Then definitely do that. Yeah, and if you want to split any winnings, just don't split the losses with us. Yeah, and uh, people did enjoy, according to the tweets, they enjoyed us trying to um, <laughs> make fun, like recreate these sound effects. But uh, like I said. I'm back, so we do have the sound effects. Pac-12 Roundup. Oh, yeah, baby. And uh, we're going to start from the bottom. Uh, our number 12 team has not changed. Pretty much everything else has except the very top. Um, so at number 12, Dave, we have... Washington State Cougars. Yeah. Yeah, the Cougars. So the Cougars are off this week. Um, they are the, I think, one Pac-12 team on a bye. Uh, last week, they beat Idaho... 56 to 6 um which you know i think I, I think the spread on that game was like 26 and a half or something and i took idaho just pretty much out of spite for washington <laughs> state once again looking kind of poopy through the first two games but they took care of business i don't know what else you can really take from this one i mean they ran the ball pretty well and washington state's not typically a running team so that was interesting to see um but overall this was just you know, they did what they needed to do against an Idaho team, and now they get a bye week to kind of lick their wounds before, uh, before going against Oregon in a week. And, uh, that'll be, and we'll get into this, but that'll be a slightly depleted, uh, Oregon team. So I think the, the, the stage is set. If Washington State is going to right the ship, I think they can start, uh, next week against Oregon, but, um, I think they've got a lot to iron out. Even with a 50 point win against Idaho, I think they've got a lot to iron out before, uh, before they get into the Pac 12 schedule. Yeah, it was, uh, and this was a game where that we picked differently. I picked Washington State, so I ended up getting a, an extra point on Dave on this one. But, um, you know, got to see some of this. Uh, there was a play early on where I think Washington State fans were just gasping when Gabe Marks, like he totally, uh, dove for this ball, laid out for it, and he came up and it looked like, it looked like he just lost his breath or something or got the wind knocked out of him. He ended up coming back in. So that would have been, um, disaster he ended up catching a t touchdown pass like soon after that so i think they had a blocked field goal for the for a touchdown early on in the game too and I, one of those things where you get a big special teams play early and it sort of opens up the floodgates i kind of got the feeling dave that that's one of the things that would happen here but i thought wicks ran the ball well um and when he was running they set up the the play action yep. uh in the first half um and uh what was the other one other note oh they haven't uh <laughs> They hit, they were 0 for 3 for, on field goals this, this season. They hit like the upright on, on the end of the first half. I don't remember if they end up hitting one in the second half, but, um, they're just, no, they, they are, they're still 0 for. 0 for. Okay. Yeah. So that was a special teams, you know, little concern there for Washington State going forward. You want to be able to kick a couple of field goals at some point, but, um, I did feel like they ran the ball pretty well. And then, you know, 
the fact that you can throw the ball all over the field, if you can run the ball and then set it up with play action, I think they can be really devastating. So we'll see if they'll be able to continue doing that. But that's something to watch for this Washington State team that's, you know, trying to crawl back out of the, the, the hole they dug for them in the first two games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because aside from uh, Luke Falk's five runs, they had 30 other runs in this game against 44 passes, which, you know, I don't, I don't know that Mike Leach has really ever run the ball to that great of an extent. Um, I'm sure there's been a few occasions, but it'll be interesting to see if they're starting to lean a little bit on that running game because if you remember last year, I mean, their running backs themselves are actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't. I, it'll be interesting to see if they maybe are, you know, reconfiguring things a little. Um, I don't think Mike Leach is ever going to go away from the full like air raid, but um, maybe they they do lean on the running game a little bit more just to control the ball a little bit more and keep other teams' offenses off the field. It'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Now they got to buy. We actually have a pretty good um, segue because our buddy Bruce Feldman tweeted this or put a story out, and I ended up tweeting it out. That, uh, Washington State, lowly Washington State that throws the ball over the field is running for more yards per game, 122, than our number 11 team, tailback you, who's running for 120 yards per game. So, number 11, all the way down to number 11, we have USC Trojans. And they took, Uh, uh, and they took on the number one team in the ever popular, uh, podcast of champions power rankings. Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, so this one was this this was not fun for uh for USC fans probably to watch. Um so Stanford beat USC 27 to 10. Um it was kind of a weird game because USC if if you were really watching the first half, USC was running the ball okay on Stanford. Um just kept shooting themselves in the foot a little bit, couldn't really get much in the air going. Um and then Defensively, it was just, once again, the Christian McCaffrey show. Um, he had 165 yards on the ground. He had 73 yards receiving. And he had, what did he have? Oh, only 22 yards returned. So that's a big win right there. Um, he only had about 250 all-purpose yards. So uh, that's better than 400. Yes. Uh, so I think everyone will take that. Um, but yeah, He had 461 last year. And uh, I think we talked about this in the podcast, the fact that USC had a whole bunch of uh, touchbacks on kickoffs. They, I think they had seven through the first two games, had 11 all of last year. So that would be one way to try to limit him. So he didn't have the same kind of return yardage, but he still killed him in the in the run game in the pass game. Yeah. So this is a this is an interesting one um, because after this game, there's been a lot of uh, talk of turmoil at USC. Uh, coaches getting punched in the face, 50 guys transferring, all this stuff. So what's the uh, what's the tenor of USC right now? Yeah, it's, um, well, so it's been a crazy week. Uh, you know, talking to the players, there was, I, I wouldn't say that the locker room was lost, but there, you know, there was definitely some chinks in the armor, I guess. Um, and, you know, locker room was misplaced for just a little Yeah. Bit. And like Sam Darnold felt that well, we talked to him after the game and he felt that the, the team at halftime looked like they had lost. And then we talked to other players that didn't feel that way. Um, it's weird because they actually came out and had their best drive of the game. And the beginning of the third quarter and scored a touchdown. They're only touchdown against the power five opponent all year. Um, so I don't know, maybe whatever, if they were down in the locker room and it helped, I'm not sure. Uh, but then obviously be a one and two, uh, high expectations. It's a, not an easy schedule. You lose to Alabama and Stanford. Um, and you've got a rookie head coach. The offense looks terrible. I mean, they had four, uh, false start penalties, Dave, in the first quarter, six in the game, and they were just drive killing kind of things. 
it just doesn't look like an organized team and the offense doesn't look organized. And of course, on Monday, the day I decided to go golfing and take the day off, but they, they play on Friday. So normally they don't practice on a Monday. Right. Uh, they practice on Tuesday, but they're playing on Friday. So they moved it up. I had already planned a golf day with buddies down Orange County. You know, guys don't need to know this, but when I don't go to practice, then of course all the news breaks. They named Sam Darnold the starter, which is a lot of people coined, like said, like it's kind of rearranging the deck chair, the, the, uh, the Titanic, you know, like what, what does that really matter? It wasn't the quarterback that was, you know, losing you games. Um, but t- so that's, I think that's going to hurt the locker room too. Just kind of switching quarterbacks three games in. It's not really fair to Max Brown, who's waited for four years to start and you let him start at two games, you know, on the road against Stanford, Alabama, and you don't do well. And you say, okay, you're out. Um, don't really agree with that, but that's just been some of the crazy stuff that's been going around USC lately, Dave. Yeah. If I was doing free word association, I'd say scapegoating. I would say that. That's a good one, yeah. That's maybe the the thing that's happening here because honestly, I mean, I joked about it last time. Darnold has looked maybe a little bit better in games, maybe, and it sounds like from the offseason reports, he probably looked a little bit better in practice, um, but not so demonstrably different and better that this is really going to matter. Um, and it sounds like from a leadership perspective, Brown is kind of the guy. I mean, he's a captain. The whole yeah. deal probably has the respect of the locker room. Darnold's a redshirt freshman who may or may not have that. I mean, he he might. Who knows? But um, that it all seems very weird. It seems like you know I joked about this a bunch on Twitter um, going into the season that you know they were only naming Brown the starter to keep him you know in the program so that he couldn't grad transfer with two years of eligibility. But after three games making this switch, after saying so many times, you know, we're going to give a real shot to whoever wins the job. It feels that way. Like it feels like, yeah, maybe they just kind of made this choice. You know, this was one of the factors in that choice to keep the guy in the program. Um, and now we'll see. I mean, does it, does it sound from what you're hearing that Brown's going to transfer? Um, yeah, he didn't. I mean, he talked about keeping all of his options open. I don't see any way he does not. And, you know, maybe something, something weird would have to happen. Like, you know, they put him back in, but he, he, he admitted, I mean, he's very classy about it, Dave, and he admitted like, it never happens. You don't see the younger guy go in and then get replaced. Like when you put the younger guy in, that's what happens. So barring some sort of injury, Max Brown is done and he's not going to come in and play like Sam Darnold was when Max was in. Um, so really he's getting the short end of the stick here. He's he, because he already graduated. Um, he can transfer probably, I would guess he'll transfer somewhere in the spring. I mean, I could see him going up to like Washington state or something and just throwing the ball all over the field. Um, and USC plays Washington state next year. So that would be kind of fun to, to do there. But so, yeah, I, I don't see any way unless something weird happens or he gets, becomes a starter again and they make some kind of run that he would stick around, uh, at this point. I, I mean, if I was him, I certainly wouldn't. So, um, yeah, but he hasn't come out and said that specifically. All right. So on the, uh, okay. So we'll get into USC's game this week in just a second, but I, I, we haven't even really talked about Stanford. We got to talk about Stanford. Yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, this was just a Stanford type of win. They, uh, really, um, just methodical, you know, it was 17 three at the half. And then USC came out and, you know, I want to give USC credit because I think I, I said something on Twitter that, you know, at the end of the second, at the end of the second quarter when, you know, it was 17 three and, some bad stuff had just happened. I just said, this is typically the point of a game when USC would just kind of quit, and they didn't. They came out in the third quarter and uh, put a nice drive together, but then Stanford scored 10, and it was pretty much over at that point. Um, 
you know, it's it's not the same kind of Stanford team as last year. I don't think the offense is going to be anywhere near as explosive as it was a year ago, but they're just they're beating teams comfortably. I mean, they beat Kansas State 26-13, and they beat USC 27-10, so they treated Kansas State and USC like they were about the same team, which um, I think is pretty impressive, and I think it speaks to the way Stanford just controls games the way they want to control them. Yeah, fun, funny. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's an NFL Network guy we're friends with, um, he tweeted at me. He's like, they, they kill you with a thousand paper cuts. And uh, and then, then you know, but they also have the capability of cutting your arm off uh, when Christian McCaffrey breaks open. But you watch him and... They, I thought that they, they bring in that ogre package on offense and they can just pick up yard. Like, what is it? Third and two? Yeah. Bring in, bring in those big guys and they just, they get the two yards. It's just, it's a methodical process. And then every once in a while, if you saw that first Christian McCaffrey touchdown, they ended up having two backs in the backfield. McCaffrey goes out in a wheel route and the other back, I think it was love. They faked a handoff to him. Safety kind of bites on the play action because they've been running the ball pretty well, leaving McCaffrey. Alone down the sideline, and it's just like you know, boom, touchdown. It's just like that. So I think you you see the way the offense is designed, and they'll set up plays, maybe five, six plays ahead of time. And there there's a method to what they're doing, and the plays that they're setting up, the bigger plays work, uh, and that's how you can set up the the bigger plays. And there was another McCaffrey. He almost had another touchdown uh, on a catch uh, where he just lined up at uh, the outside receiver. Yeah. Lined up on the safety, beat him badly, and uh, Burns overthrew him. There would have been another just you know glory touchdown there, and that wasn't a that wasn't trickery. That was just we're putting McCaffrey out as a wide receiver, try to cover him, and USC couldn't. So I thought they did a great job. I thought you know defensively, um, you know they were pretty methodical there too. Just, you know forcing enough negative plays, getting you in longer you know third down situations where it's just going to be hard to pick up and sustain drive. So yeah, you, know, you might have a big play here or there. But if you want to try to sustain drives, I think the, the Stanford defense did a really good job of preventing you from doing that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, that would have given, I think that was like a 40-ish yard, 50-yard type throw, what it would have been. Um, so that would have put him over 300 all-purpose yards. So that would have been a, a nice day for Christian McCaffrey. Not So as it was, it was just subpar, you know. <laughs> um, all right, so for USC, they go against Utah this week. Should we should we play Utah's music? So this is kind of disorganized because we've, we've – we got to do the previous game for the team, but we also have to do the next game. Yeah. So should we do Utah's previous game now? Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, uh, so we'll, so we'll just kind of jump around our, our Pac-12 rankings, I guess. Do it. Let's okay. do it. Okay. So we'll do that. So, uh, USC is the number 11 team and they'll be taking on Utah Utes. Who we Which, have. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we have them as our uh, number three team at three and zero. Okay, so Utah um, kind of had a, a funny game against San Jose State, which I think the odds makers sort of predicted. They only had Utah as a thirteen point favorite. Took a while for Utah to get going in this one. Uh, they eventually won thirty four seventeen when they just they they you know a lot of people were tweeting about this. They're like, oh, they just realized they were Utah all of a sudden, and they were much much better than the San Jose State team, and they kind of poured it on in the second quarter and then into the third um, and put the game kind of out of reach for San Jose State. Um, it was a nice bounce-back game for Utah after kind of a disconcerting win over BYU that saw some guys get injured. Uh, Troy Williams, he still threw a pick, but he had a much better game, uh, completed 20 of 28 passes for with a touchdown. Uh, running the ball went really, really well, um, 37 rushes for 201 yards, three touchdowns, and it was kind of an all-purpose thing. Zach Moss had 12 carries. 
Armand Shine had 12 carries, Troy McCormick had seven carries, and they all averaged, you know, well over seven yards a carry, seven yards a carry. Um, it was just kind of a methodical, you know, nice win for them. And, um, after kind of allowing a little bit to San Jose State in the first half, they really shut them down for most of the second half and, uh, a late touchdown, but it wasn't really anything significant. It was a nice win for Utah, a nice bounce back win. Yeah. And this was the one, um, so it was a 13 and a half point spread. Uh, I got this one. Uh, I picked Utah. You picked San Jose State. So this was another one that we had uh, a little differently. So I had this one right. Um, yeah, San Jose State was winning this game <laughs> second quarter. Yeah. And then I think I think you put it well. Like Utah just figured out, hey, we're Utah. Um, I do like the fact that they were spreading the ball around with the running backs. I thought, you know, Troy McCormick, who was out last year with an injury, you know, he's a junior. I thought he would might be the workhorse guy, but you know, maybe he ends up being that way towards the end of the season, but. Having, you know, a few different guys you can rely on and, and run the football and try different things with. I, I, I like the, that fact of the offense too. I think it helps, certainly helps Troy Williams the better they can run the football. And it looks like they're kind of getting their stride, you know, both lines. You expect them to play well. I think they did. Good pass rush from Utah. So yeah, I think it was, you know, start off a little slow, but uh, a good win overall. Yeah, I thought it was generally, um, it was a nice bounce back. And, it, you know, it was good to see them rush the passer pretty well despite you know, not having Kylie Fitz available, who's probably out for the year. Um, it was, uh, I, you know, just generally, I thought a pretty nice win. And now, uh, it's going to be USC Utah this week. Um, and yeah, this is going to be a Friday night game, which, um, in Utah, which is going to be fun. Uh, this is going to be 6 p.m. on Fox Sports one, USC going at number 24, Utah. So Utah snuck back into the rankings this week as well. Uh, Utah's favored by three. I think this opened as Utah minus one and then it moved to Utah minus three. Um, over under set at 46 and a half. So people are expecting a defensive struggle in this one. Um, I, I honestly, I don't know what to expect from USC in this game. Um, I think they could absolutely have a nice bounce back game and really put together a nice performance. And Sam Darnold with his ability to run a little bit more than Max Brown could cause some issues for that Utah defense. Or I could see a complete collapse. Um, I, I honestly, I, I don't have a good feel for it. What's your feel? Uh, same, exact same. We were talking the media at the, uh, at the practice yesterday and I said, you know, it's rare I go into a game and would be, wouldn't be shocked by any outcome. Like if USC blew out Utah, kind of like they did last year, wouldn't, yeah. you know, they have enough talent to do that. Um, if Utah blew out USC, certainly wouldn't be shocked at that. If it was close either way, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm just, I think this could go in so many different directions and you have this established team in Utah that's well coached and good special teams and great line play and can run the ball, uh, dynamic quarterback and it's going to be a blackout. I mean, they're going to be excited. I mean, and revenge on their minds because yeah. what USC did to them last year. USC derailed their season last year after they kind of, I think they were what number three or I think something. Number three in the country. Yeah. Six and oh and, uh, and USC just derailed it. So obviously, and you know, USC has a Utah player on their team, Stevie Tuikolovatu, who transferred over. I mean, there's just, I think there's a lot on the Utah side to, to want to win this game. And USC, what, you know, whenever you put in a backup quarterback, a lot of times it's an exciting thing. I don't know in this case though. Um, I think a bunch of the coaches did want Sam Darnold to go in there, but you know, the, the players elected Max Brown as the captain. Um, I, I, I think it could certainly hurt the locker room. It's a short week, and the fact that you play the most physical team in the conference or one of the top two, Stanford, 
And six days later, you're playing Utah, both on the road. Um, you know, for me, if I had to, to bet, which is what we're doing, uh, I'm going to take Utah, uh, given three points. Um, but like I said, I, I wouldn't be shocked at anything. It's just, there's so many variables in this one for me, Dave, that it, it just could go almost any direction. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. I think I like Utah something like 28, 20, 28, 21, something like that. Um, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be very, very physical. Um, I think Utah's, I think like you said, they're going to play with a pretty big chip on their shoulder after last year. Um, and USC, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, there was so much controversy and weirdness this week that, yeah, I mean, everyone's denying that EJ Price punched anyone in the face and I completely believe that he did not. But the fact that all that stuff is bubbling up, that there oh, yeah. are wild rumors, it's just, you know, this is the, the same kind of crazy turmoil that USC's had. For the last what five years, right? Um, and so, that was supposed to go away when you hire, you know, Clay Helton. Uh, Clay Helton actually had a funny line when he said, "Yeah, I wasn't punched in the face. If if I was, I wouldn't be here. If he punched me, I wouldn't be here." I was like, "Ah, fair point, you know." Good point. Yeah, if your uh, <laughs> your big lineman punches you in the face, probably. Um, yeah, so I I I think USC. I mean, it's just so tough to get a read on USC because a lot of times when we've thought they've been in turmoil in the past, they suddenly put it on for one game and just completely crush an opponent and it's just you know you never really know um but i i'm i'm just concerned that helton might be losing that team um i I think that that might be something that's happening uh just judging by a lot of the the hubbub that's around the movement from brown to darnold i don't know that like you said i don't know if that has the support of the locker room and the way they've played i mean getting blown out by bama and then playing a pretty not competitive second half against stanford it just doesn't it doesn't smell of a team that's you know super committed to uh to to plan out the string for this guy so give me utah on the points i'll take uh i'll take utah 28 usc 20 okay so we both uh, are on utah on that one and uh yeah this is a must win game for usc i don't think you can start off 1 and 3 um and uh and clay helton would be 1 and 5 since he was named the uh permanent head coach um so there's already a lot of pressure now so that, that, that could be, if, if USC wins it, it's just because they know this is it. Like you don't win this one, like things are going to get ugly quick. Yeah, for sure. So do we want to, now since we already talked about Stanford, do we want to go to Stanford's game or should we just keep going up the no, ladder? I think, I think we keep going up when we get to Stanford when we get to UCLA. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're giving away the secrets. I don't know if they know that Stanford and UCLA are playing. Um, <laughs> okay. So number 10, we have. Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State is ahead of USC in the Pac-12 rankings, making their slow climb up the uh, up the power rankings. Um, so last week, Oregon State did exactly what it needed to do against Idaho State. Looked like a a Power Five team going up against a cupcake. Um, it was just very very solid win. Uh, it was twenty three nothing at the half, thirty seven seven final. Um, just very, very solid. Uh, there was, I don't think there was a line set on this game. If there no. was, they there, might not have covered. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there was no line. So we both got, a, got wins on this one, but you know. Yeah. So, I mean, Oregon State didn't pass the ball particularly well, Daryl Garrettson, but they didn't really ask him to do a whole bunch. Uh, he was 15 to 30, but, uh, running the ball, they just killed Idaho State on the ground. 41 carries for 246 yards and three touchdowns. Victor Bolden, um, the receiver, actually had three carries for 111 yards, so he was being used a lot in kind of tricky ways. So 
I think Oregon State did a lot of what I like to see when they go up against cupcakes. Instead of going super conservative and, you know, not not trying to show their hand for future games, they worked on some stuff. Yeah. Because the thing is, going up against one of these cupcakes is a great opportunity to have live reps to work on your stuff. Not just to, oh, we don't want to show anything, so we're going to pound the ball up the middle, you know, and, you know, take a lot of easy passes. But they actually worked on some stuff, some tricker, some trickeration, which I like. Um, so it was good to see. Um, and they, they took care of business. They, uh, defense forced five turnovers in this one, Dave, leading to 24 points. Uh, I guess if one thing, you know, I don't think the offense was great in the red zone that, you know, third down, they had a few issues. Um, so I think there's, there's certainly stuff you can work on. I mean, it's nice to, you know, to get a 20, you know, whatever it was, a 30, uh, 20 point win. 30 point. 30 point win. Yeah. Um, 37 seven. Oh yeah. 37 seven. Yeah. And you work on some things. Seven equals, equals 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at like five different lines here. The, (laughs) but there, there are still some improvements. So I think sometimes when you get a win like that, the coaches can go back and say, Hey, we struggled in the red zone here or why did we have problems on third down? So you feel good. You get the W. It's a convincing W. But there's still teachable moments as well. So I think, you know, it probably helped Gary Anderson going into this week, uh, cause it's going to get a lot tougher. Uh, same state, uh, <laughs> but a much different program going from Idaho State to Boise State. Yeah, for sure. So this game is going to be at 1230 PM on Fox Sports one, Boise State going at Oregon State in Corvallis. Uh, Boise State, 13 point road favorite over the Beavers. Um, and you, you completely understand that Boise State's a very solid program, uh, with a good defense, solid, solid team across the board. I mean, it's a team that beat Washington State, which admittedly we have lower in the power rankings than Oregon State, but it's probably a slightly better team than Oregon State. Um, Boise State beat them at home. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I liked what I saw out of Oregon State against Minnesota in the opener, and I, I didn't see I didn't see huge amounts that were wrong against Idaho State. I think I like Oregon State here um, to cover the thirteen. I think they'll. Uh, I, I think it'll be something like Boise State thirty-one, Oregon State twenty-one, something like that. I think they'll hold down Oregon State's offense pretty well, but um, I think it'll be a close enough game. I think Oregon State can get a rowdy home crowd and make this uh, make this a closer game than it otherwise should be. I think you're right. I mean, I think. Uh... You know, Washington State gave him a run, uh, and that was, you know, on the, the blue turf. Uh, this will be in Corvallis. I mean, that's, uh, that's an advantage there. Give 13 points on the road. I mean, for a road team to, to overcome. I mean, I don't know, man. That's just a lot. You just, all you got to do is turn one touchdown into a field goal at some point if you're the Oregon State defense. And I think you can, you can take this one. That's just a lot of points for me. Um, yeah, I could see Boise State coming in and, and blowing them out, but Oregon State's playing better. They played well on the road. I think they're going to be happy to have a, a good opponent at home. They'll be excited for this. Angie, your your boys up there. I'm going to take Oregon State plus the 13. They got they got to be able to cover that, Dave. I think so. I think so. And I, you know, I don't even know that they, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go ahead and predict uh, an Oregon State win, but I wouldn't be like completely stunned if they won this one. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're clearly a more organized, cohesive team than they were last year. Um, so. I don't know. Uh, this will be a fun game to watch. I think everyone should uh, should tune into this one for at least a little bit of time. Yeah, this is a math thing for me. Thirteen points—that's just a lot. I just—that's just, that's think just that, a lot of points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and like you said, I you know Oregon State could win this one at home. So if you're going to get thirteen points and you think you got a shot to win, 
Uh, let's take them. All right. Beavers, we'll see you. Hopefully you come through for us because uh, that's what matters is if you guys cover the spread. Um, we'll talk about one of those teams where we, I think we tweeted about that, Dave, later. But uh, <laughs> number nine in our power rankings, which, you know, for a 2-1 team, that seems a little low. But number nine is Arizona Wildcats. The Wildcats righted the ship uh, last week against Hawaii as we kind of expected they would. I don't think they ended up covering the 24, no. uh, but they did beat Hawaii 47-28. Um, it was 24, right? It was uh, 24 and a half, yeah. So they didn't cover, um, which did either of us have them predicted as covering? We both picked Hawaii. Okay, cool. Good for us. Yeah. Uh, um, so Hawaii scored 14 points late to to give us uh, give us that win, which was nice of them. Uh, but cover. Arizona, I mean, they looked they looked okay in this one. They were uh, they scored 34 points in the first half. The offense looked probably better than it has this season. Uh, ran the ball extremely well. Um, Brandon Dawkins very much gives them a running element that they didn't have with a new Solomon, who's not a horrible runner, but he's not he's not a true dual threat. Brandon Dawkins very clearly is, um, and also passed the ball efficiently. Um, he was 16 of 21 for 235 yards, which sounds pretty ho hum, but 11.2 yards per attempt is, you know, that's that's getting into elite territory um, with one touchdown, but ran the ball 15 carries for 118 yards and three touchdowns. J.J. Taylor had 18 carries for 168 yards and a touchdown. All told, they had almost 350 yards rushing, which is very much what Rich Rod wants out of his running game every single game, but they did it uh, in this one. And by and large, the defense played okay. Um, it wasn't great. They allowed some stuff, especially on the ground, to uh, to Hawaii, but um, they played okay, and it wasn't until really late that Hawaii even made it, you know, a semi-respectable final score. Otherwise, it was uh, pretty much all Arizona through three quarters. The uh, tailback position is a time, you know, it's a place where you can make an impact early on in your career. You know, sometimes you come in as a left tackle, like maybe sure. you're not playing until a redshirt, redshirt sophomore, but freshman J.J. Taylor, I mean, like you mentioned, he had a huge game in this one, and you know, all the talk is about Nick Wilson and stuff, but being able to have, uh, a guy like that, uh, as a freshman come in and, and make the kind of plays he did. I think you'll, we'll see a lot of him, uh, throughout the, uh, the Pac 12 season. So he was really impressive. Um, you know, Dawkins, like you said, having the dual threat kind of thing. Um, you know, we'll see kind of what happens at these positions later on, but there's, they got some weapons there. Rich Rod has some weapons and some options. So, uh, I think this offense will start clicking a little bit better. Maybe that, you know, some stuff to shore up on the defense, like you said, not wanting to give up 28 points to Hawaii, but you know, I think this team was going to be able to score a lot of points and they're that, that's the kind of, when they're doing that, that's when Arizona can make the run and try to win the, the Pac 12 South again. They got to be able to be dynamic and score points. And I think this is a, a team this year that can do that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's going to be interesting to see this week because, um, Arizona, uh, they, Anu Solomon's probably back to full health this week. Um, you know, there's not much, there's not a whole lot of solid information that comes out of Arizona because Rich Rod, um, is pretty much like Soviet Russia with the way he runs that program <laughs> from a, a media coverage standpoint. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like Anu Solomon's probably back to full health, but with the way Dawkins played against Hawaii, and I don't think anybody was super enamored with Anu Solomon's play, not only this year, but last year either. Um, I think, it's going to be interesting to see whether they ride with Dawkins going forward because, again, he gives them that that running ability that Solomon kind of doesn't. And Solomon's a, probably a better passer. Um, you got to give him credit for that. But Dawkins, um, that dy- 
dynamicism. Is that even a word? Dynamism? I don't think so, but let's go with it. We're good. Let's go with both of them. <laughs> Not even just one. Let's go with both. Um, his, uh, his ability to do both, uh, is, uh, is very impressive. And I, I, if I had to guess, I would think Richard would ride with Dawkins because he's never seemed particularly pleased with the new Solomon. Um, and he, you know, he, he was saying it was a quarterback competition in the offseason. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say they go with Dawkins this week when they take on. Oh, oh, so we got to do the preview. See, man, you can't, you got to like let me know if you're setting I know, stuff. no, I wanted to, I wanted to keep you on your toes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Arizona, this is a big one. Um, so wait, so we're like branching off to the next we're thing. Gonna, we're going to talk Washington. Okay. We're going to talk their previous game and then we're going to get into the matchup. Okay. All right. So Arizona taking on Washington Huskies. <laughs> All right. So obviously we're still ironing out the kinks, people. We used to do two of these a week. Now we're doing one. So it's, it's just tricky. Okay. Um, for uh, Washington, I mean, this bears virtually no mentioning, but Washington beat the P out of Portland state, uh, last week. They really are Portland state now, uh, 41 to three. Uh, <laughs> this was just, I mean, this was a disgusting game. Um, allowed virtually nothing defensively. And just crush them offensively. Um, six yards of carry, eight and eight, eight point eight yards per pass attempt, and they allowed virtually nothing on the ground. Um, this is what an elite team does to a bad opponent, and you know, but it's also what a pretty good team does to a bad opponent. So we're gonna see uh, which way Washington leans coming up pretty soon here. But I yeah. mean, do you have anything about this game you want to talk about? Because it just was a this was a brutal beatdown. Yeah, I mean, a lot of takeaways. Browning had four touchdowns. Uh, Washington allowed less than one yard per yeah. rush in this one, which is kind of crazy. Uh, three for 13 on third downs. They almost had three punts blocked, though. So maybe there's some, there's a teachable moment there. Like, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Hey, we got to yeah. fix something here. Like, can't get these punts blocked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was, it was pretty much an all purpose beatdown. Um, was uh was not pretty and uh Portland State State scored 3 points in the third quarter. That was it. So. <laughs> so anyway, the first real game for Washington is coming up this week, uh 7:30 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. Number 9 Washington 3 and 0 going up against number 9 in the Pac-12 power rankings, Arizona. Washington is our number 2 team? Yes. So this is going to be an interesting game. Um the line, I believe they just recently set it, so let me pull this up. So Washington is favored by nine and a half. It opened as a ten point uh, margin. It's I, I think they're, they they took a while to set it because they're still not sure of Solomon or Nick Wilson what their status will be for this game for Arizona. Kind of an interesting line though, because you know, look at Boise State versus Oregon State. You know, Boise State, which I don't think is as good as Washington. They're, they're favored by 13 over Oregon State, which is maybe a little bit worse than Arizona, but I would think this would be more like a 13 or 14 point line for Washington. It just doesn't feel right given, you know, I, I think Washington has clearly the best defense in the conference and I don't think it's very close. Um, and offensively, they've put some stuff together this season. Um, Arizona, I, you know, I think Dawkins can maybe get some things going on the ground. Um, but I, I I, I'm not super confident in that offense, even with their kind of explosion against Hawaii. Um, I think Washington will generally be able to shut them down. Um, and while Arizona's defense, I think, looks okay and better than I was expecting in the post Scooby Wright era, I'm not sure it's 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 going to be able to completely hold down this Washington attack. So 
I think I like Washington by a couple of touchdowns. Um, I, I think I like them to cover this 10 points or it's nine and a half. I agree with you, Dave. I thought like if I was going to get, I try to guess the line and then whatever direction it's going. And I was, I was thinking 12 or 13 points, kind of similar to what you said with, uh, Boise State. The, you know, the scary thing is though that Arizona does look like they can put up points. Now it's not going to be, you know, this is going to be the best defense they faced. Um, and you know, but, Usually you get a quarterback like that who's dynamic and can run the football. You're going to still score some, you know, so could they keep it close? But I think that the Washington offense has evolved enough, and Jake Browning has just showed that there's so much stuff he can do. I don't know if the Arizona defense is going to have a lot of answers for him. So even if Arizona gets things rolling and they're running the football well and, and putting up some points that maybe you didn't expect them to do on this defense, I just think the the Washington offense can completely outscore them and, you know, 10, 12, 14 points is, is certainly, uh, you know, at, at the minimum, I would think. So I'm going to take, uh, Washington this one, laying the, the nine and a half. I just, I know they just look like so much of a better team right now. Chris Peterson's doing a great job. And I, I think Arizona's improved. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not very easy to go on the road in the Pac 12 and uh, open like that. But I, I just think Washington's going to handle it. If not on, you know, on one side of the ball, at least it, it, if the defense shuts them down or the offense, you know, scores a bunch of points. Or some combination of that. I just can't see it being closer than like 10. Could this be a look ahead spot for Washington though? Because they've got Stanford, um, the following, I think Friday night. Uh, and that's, you know, maybe the biggest game in the Pac 12 season this year. Um, I mean, I, I don't think Chris Peterson's teams have been prone to that sort of thing in the past, but you know, that's something to keep in mind in this one. That's that true, but it's Washington a, it's a home one. Like if it was like a road trip to Stanford, maybe, but, but. I, th- I think because it's the Pac-12 opener, um, it's, it's a, it's has its own unique set of circumstances. So, hey, this is the Pac-12 opener. They want to focus on that. And then it's like, all right, this is for the Pac-12 North Championship basically the next week. So, um, I don't think there'll be as much of a look ahead, Dave, but you know, it's college football. There's a 19, 20 year old kids. Who knows? Yeah, for sure. All right. Moving on. Okay. So now we're going to go up to, um, we'll go back up the list, right? Yeah, pick up the list. Back okay. up the list. Man, this, this is very complex. It's just, like this is convoluted. We're, 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 we've got to figure out a new system. Yeah. I mean, this probably works, but it's just, you know, you're kind of all over the place. All right. So our number eight team is Colorado Buffalo. Oh, Colorado. They, they almost did this. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to notice it from the final score. Michigan number four beat Colorado 45 28, um, in Michigan. Uh, but this was, this was all Colorado in the first half or at least the first quarter. Um, buffs looked like they were just so ready for this one. Cephalufa was playing really, really well. Um, they did so much good on the ground through the air, um, that it looked like, Colorado had a real chance, even into the third quarter. It was 28-24 um, after Sefa Lufau, Gimpy, with uh, with his ankle just gotten crushed uh, through a huge touchdown pass to put him ahead, 28-24. But from then on, uh, Lufau got kicked out of the game. Oh, not kicked out of the game. Lufau uh, <laughs> left the game with an injury, um, and Michigan poured on uh, 21 unanswered. But it was it, it was a really, really competitive game through the first half and into the third quarter. Uh, big issues for Colorado. Anytime they tried to punt the ball, literally anytime they tried to punt the ball, it was a bad thing. Um, they had two punts <laughs> blocked and then another one returned for a touchdown. Um, they just didn't, you know, they just didn't look quite right in special teams. But if you take out all the punting, I mean, this was a, 
This was a, a Colorado win or a very competitive game. So a lot to build on for Colorado, but they have to hope that Sefo Lufau is healthy going forward because um, the backup quarterback situation looks like a grim, grim disaster. Yeah, that, I mean, the special team, you can't go on the road against a good team like that. You have to play even on special teams at the minimum. You, if you can beat them a little bit on special teams, that's fine. You can't have a disastrous special teams performance. And that's exactly what Colorado did. Um, but you know, the, the, the Cephalufau injury just really hurt them so badly. And it was, you know, 21 seven, you're, you're, you're on the, you know, in the big house beating Michigan and it would almost take a, a utter collapse to, to have it switch the way it did. And that's really what happened. Um, I mean, it was you know, that TD pass they had to start the game. They go up seven, nothing. You get all this momentum. Like I said, 21 seven. They actually had a fumble recovery for a touchdown um, yeah. to put him up by two touchdowns. It was Bill McCartney's grandson, Derek McCartney, who ended up returning uh, the fumble uh, for a touchdown. Then he ends up getting out. I think he, he was he's injured. For the year, I think, now. Yeah, he's out for the year now. It's just so many bad things kind of happened after so many good things happened in this game. Um, but, you know, I thought they they fought hard, Dave. It just it wasn't going to – it wasn't enough. You wouldn't have liked, you would like to see the effort they put in. It should have been a closer game. Uh, yeah. not, you know, but they still covered, which we were. That know. was the most important thing for us here at the <laughs> podcast of champions. They, they covered the spread. We both picked, uh, Colorado in this one. We thought they were, you know, keep it within 19 and a half. It was, we got a little testy there at the end, but cover city. So we're happy about that. Yeah. I was pretty happy that they, uh, held on to cover. Um, you know, and there was a lot to build on. I think if Lufau, even if, you know, maybe he's a little gimpy this week and doesn't play against Oregon. If he comes back for the meat of the, the conference schedule, I think this is a bowl team this year. Um, I think that he looks good enough. Their defense looks good enough. Their general offensive, you know, prowess looks good enough that I think they'll be able to generate some, some real wins. Um, you know, I would have, if Lufout stayed healthy for this entire game, I would have loved to have seen the outcome because, they were, I mean, they played this team even aside from punting. And if you, if you have Lufau for that second half, they might have won this game despite their awful punting. Um, so there was a lot, a lot to like about Colorado. I think Mike McIntyre clearly has that program going in the right direction now, um, where it was not obvious the previous three years, um, that that was the case, but he clearly does now. Um, and they, they need to get their quarterback situation righted and, you know, I think if you're, you know, obviously Davis Webb had a nice game for Cal and they beat Texas, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, uh, you know, it would have been interesting to see a guy like Davis Webb on this team. Um, because if they had him and Newfow could have redshirted this year and then played next year, I think that would have been a pretty interesting two years for Colorado. And now we'll, now we'll just have to see what happens next year when, when Newfow's gone. Yeah. And then, you know, just so when you look at the score, don't, I mean, just realize it was not, it was closer than that, that this was a Colorado team that's better. That gave Michigan a run, uh, and like Dave said, could have won this one. So, uh, result wasn't, you know, what, what, uh, Mike McIntyre wanted, but I think you can, there's some positives you can take out of the game. And if they get, if Lufau's healthy, uh, like you said, I think they can make a run at a bowl, like we thought they, they had a chance to do last year. But this week, uh, they got to go on the road. It's not going to get any easier. They got to take on Oregon Ducks. <laughs> All right, so the Ducks had a really tough game against Nebraska. Um, ended up losing by three, which was the exact margin predicted by Vegas. So those guys know what they're doing sometimes. Yeah, uh, so we Nebraska, this one. Yeah, Nebraska won 35-32 um, over Oregon. This was a really, really strange game because 
if uh, Mark Helfrich had done uh, what uh, probably 95% of coaches do, uh, this would have been a tie game at the end because he kept going for two when uh, when extra points were there to be had. But and Dave, if, he, two, if you go for two, you get two. It's double. Like, isn't that better? I think that's better if you get them. But I think the percentage likelihood of converting a two point conversion is is. I think they did the math on this. Um, I think it's under fifty percent because the goal line is the hardest place to convert um, on one down. So if you've got a fourth down at the goal line, that's actually the hardest place to convert. If you have more field to work with, you've got a few more variations, but with, you know, within two yards of the goal line, it's actually a very, very hard place to convert. So generally speaking, you only want to do two point conversions when you need to, when you absolutely uh, need to. So, so getting uh, like 20% of them isn't good. 20% of, of, of five two point conversions is worse <laughs> than a hundred percent of, uh, of, of, Ah, I got, I got to run the, the math in my head here, but that now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was literally the game. I mean, they, they lost by three. And so they converted one of their two point conversions. Um, the first one. The first one. They were eight, they missed, eight nothing. Yeah. They missed on the other four. And that was the game. They 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 didn't do well. Um, so uh, Oregon lost. You know, it wasn't just that. I thought Dakota Prukop had his first kind of. Maybe this is an FCS quarterback playing at a at a level a little bit higher than he should be playing, um, type of game. He didn't look great. Uh, missed some obvious throws. Uh, he missed he missed some of their very speedy receivers deep in this one, which is kind of hard to do. Uh, Darren Carrington missed him a couple of times deep for touchdowns. Um, they ran the ball well because it's Oregon. They run the ball well even with Royce Freeman going down. Um, but there were some very bad notes for this one. Uh, Devon Allen is out for the year. Um, Tyler Crosby, they're starting left tackles out for the year now. Um, so some, some bad news. And Royce Freeman, um, he, he got hurt. It doesn't seem like it's going to be an out for the year type thing, but, um, pretty much a disaster game because they lost a game first. So that kind of diminishes their hopes of, you know, really getting back into the playoff conversation this year. And then they also lost some really key players. So not a, not a great game for the, for the Ducks. Yeah, we dropped him down to number six. That's probably the most devastating news of all. Obviously. Yeah, I think that's the most critical piece. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, it started off very Oregon-like. And I, I think I tweeted something like, how many times has Mike Riley been down to Oregon? Eight nothing. Like they just do that all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, but it really, it, it just didn't get much better after that. The, uh, the end of the game, uh, I think it was like a minute left or something or a little more than that. Precop had, I forget who it was, but wide open behind the defense and just underthrew him. And you're just like, oh man, like that was, that was a game. They could have won the game right there. And like you said, maybe that was looking more like an FCS quarterback. That's a, that's a throw you got to make. You got to hit your dude in stride. He gets behind the defense. You can win the game if you just make that throw and you got to do it. And then they had like, you know, it was fourth and 18 and I don't know what kind of play they ran. It just, it looked terrible. It just, I don't know. You remember seeing that one at the very end of the game? It just, yeah. it didn't look like the Oregon we knew when their backs were against the wall and you need some, you need points and you, it just looked like they, that's when they could turn it on before. They certainly didn't turn it on at the end of this game and they ended up losing. Yeah. And the defense once again didn't look good. Um, you know, at the beginning of the game, they looked okay. Uh, but then Nebraska ran so well. Um, Tommy Armstrong had 95 yards. Uh, Divine Ozikbo had 95 yards. Uh, Terrell Newby had 42. Uh, averaged almost five yards a carry on 47 carries. So Nebraska was getting what it wanted on the ground. Um, yeah, I, 
I don't know where the Ducks go from here. It's going to be very, very interesting because I don't think Dakota Prukop is anywhere close to what Vernon Adams was last year. And Vernon Adams was already a step down from Marcus Mariota. So um, quarterback recruiting, I think, is still the thing that's really killing Oregon. Um, they just, it's slowly eating away at, at, at obviously a, a prestige program in the Pac-12. But um, now uh, I think with the quarterback recruiting situation, the way it is with them, they're just, they're scuffling a little bit. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do next year because it doesn't sound like there's much within the program that they're, super excited about um from a quarterback perspective so are they going to go fcs again are they going to hope that one of these guys develops it's going to be very very interesting to see hey max brown maybe he can go up there hey there you go yeah he seems like a great fit for the oregon <laughs> offense uh, <laughs> um all right so oregon taking on colorado this week and it's this is a really interesting game because both teams are hit by injuries now this will be 2 30 p.m on the pac-12 network colorado going at oregon in Eugene, um, there wasn't a line set on this recently, but it has since gone up and it was, it opened at seven and a half. It has moved to ten and a half, um, favoring Oregon. Um, so I think they're probably counting on Cephalufau being out maybe for this one. Um, no word on Royce Freeman, but, uh, Lufau, it sounds like he's still a game time decision. Um, reading reports, it sounds like he practiced a little this week, but it's uncertain whether he's going to be ready to go. If I had to go with my gut, I would think they w- that Lufau will be ready to go because he is, without a doubt, the toughest quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, he wanted to go back in with his ankle pretty much wrecked um, on Saturday, so I think he'll be ready for this one. Um, Oregon favored by ten and a half. I think that's got to be based on the running game. Um, you know, Michigan was able to get some stuff on the ground against Colorado, and Oregon obviously is an elite running team. Um, I think I like Oregon here just because I think their, their, their running game could take advantage of Colorado. And I think Colorado might have a little bit of a letdown after last week when they were so close and then just got, got away from them in the second half. And I don't know how healthy Lufau is going to be. So I think I like Oregon by a couple of touchdowns. Um, I think I'd probably take them something like 38, 24, something like that. Uh, I'm with you on that, Dave. It's, uh, if you're going to go on the road at, at the big house and be, what was it? Almost a 20 point underdog and, you know, 10 and a half. And it's going in that direction when it, when it moves by a whole field goal in that direction, usually the, the sharps kind of know something's going on there. So I'll take, uh, Oregon and lay the points. Um, I, Colorado could certainly begin this one though. And I, I could see them if Lufau plays and they shore up some of the, the deficiencies they had against Michigan. And able to play, they were, you know, the whole game, the way they played in the first half in the big house, then they could not only just keep it close, they can win this one. But I just kind of think going on the road, you know, to Michigan and then to Oregon, where it's going to be really loud and really tough. Um, I, I just think that's a lot to ask of a team that is better. Uh, I like what they're doing, but I think it's just a lot to ask of them. So I, I'll take uh, Oregon and lay the points too. All right. All right. So next team up we have at the, Number seven spot, UCLA Bruins. All right, so UCLA last week uh, won a barn burner on the road in Provo, 17-14 over BYU. Uh, this was a, a, a interesting game because it kind of turned a lot of what we thought about UCLA on its head. Uh, the Bruins defensively were very, very good in this one. Um, shut down BYU's running game to a large extent. Um, and then BYU only rushed uh, like, uh, like I think Washington, they allowed just, uh, 
under uh, one yard of carry from BYU, and BYU's running game had actually been pretty good coming into this one. Uh, Taysom Hill was basically a non-factor at quarterback. He had 10 carries for negative seven yards um, and also threw the ball pretty much poorly the entire game. Um, so defensively, UCLA was great, but then offensively uh, didn't run the ball well. 34 carries for 50 yards, so one and a half yards per carry. And then Josh Rosen once again was just kind of off. Um, so that's now three games where he's not been, I think, anything close to what people expected heading into this year. He had an okay game against UNLV, but hasn't hasn't really uh, performed up to, I think, a lot of outside expectations and probably his own internal expectations. He's talked about being disappointed with his performance in each of the first three games. Um, but defensively, UCLA has to like what it saw. Um, Eddie Vanderdose came back um, after getting hurt at the beginning of the UNLV game, and he shut down the run pretty much on his own for the first quarter. Uh, Takaris McKinley, who went down at the beginning of the Texas A&M game, came back for this one. Um, and was a terror off the edge. The only issue for him is he once again looked like he was uh, having some issues with his groin and then also um, looked like he might have had some kind of head thing at the end. Might not have, but he got pulled from the game there at the end. Um, so he's questionable for this week. Uh, Vanderdose, though, is back, and it's um, it, the defense looks like it's getting a little bit healthier, which is going to help. Um, but uh, offense, uh, it just seems like it's whack-a-mole with UCLA every week. You know, one issue looks <laughs> like it gets corrected, and then another issue pops up. Uh, beating BYU 17-14 on the road, this was, this was a fine result, and it was really a 17-7 game, but then BYU scored a late touchdown when UCLA went prevent with two minutes to go just to kind of grind the clock out. Um, but it was, it was a nice win for UCLA. Anytime you can win on the road in a tough environment like Provo, it's great, but um, still some issues left to correct. Yeah, I think, and you can win games in this league if you're going to give up, you know, only 23 rushing yards. You know, you're, if you're able to shut down an opponent's run game, and uh, there's a lot of teams that like to run the football in the Pac-12, even though you think about, you know, throwing it all over the place. I think you can you can do a lot with that, and I, I think that was a great, you know, to do that on the road uh, in a tough place. I think, uh, you know, Eddie Vanderdose, the whole crew, uh, did a great job there. I did expect to see a little bit more. Uh, firepower, uh, offensively. Um, and what, what was the deal with, was there something with Soso Jamambo going on? Cause I thought, I mean, he looks like he can be All right. an absolute so, stud. So, so through three games, um, UCLA has had a few guys unavailable every single game. I'm not going to get into the specifics of each guy, but if we're reading between the lines on all these and Jim Moore keeps saying, well, I just didn't play them or they weren't available for this game, these, these were, these were most likely suspensions. Um, so, off-season stuff, you know, some of these guys just... Uh, th- so, Nate Starks was unavailable for the first two games. So, Jamabo was unavailable for this game. I knew Tauo was unavailable for this game. Randall Goforth was unavailable for this game. Jaleel Wadud was unavailable for the second game. So, there were just some guys who um, were unavailable for games. And uh, I, I, I don't think they were hurt. Interesting. So. Yeah, but I mean, I love the way he was running the ball yeah. through the first two games. But you expect him back... Yeah, I would, I would think he would be back this game, but, um, you know, there hasn't been much, uh, information about the length of time that any of these guys will be out or that Jim Mora will choose not to play them. <laughs> uh, it just, it, it honestly seems very weird that there wouldn't be a little bit more just, oh yeah, we're holding these guys out for these games because of reasons. So, uh, <laughs> but not much information. Uh, Jim Mora is leaning much more towards Rich Rod Soviet Russia style of, uh, style of coverage of the team, but it's okay. Right. No, uh, how was the run game without him in there? Uh, it was bad, but I don't know that it was necessarily a product of the running back. Um, I think 
BYU, I think they either had a pretty good idea of UCLA's running signals. Like they, they might have had a read on what UCLA was trying to do because they were guessing run blitz a lot. Um, so I think they just probably had a read on UCLA's offense, maybe some tendencies that UCLA needs to correct. Um, because they, they were just choosing right a lot and they had the box stacked a lot when, when UCLA was going to run the ball. Um, and maybe that's a case where UCLA needs to check out of that play, um, whatever it ends up being. But it, it just generally worked out that UCLA was running into more guys than it could block. So it was an offensive line issue, but I think it was more from an offensive schematic point standpoint where they just weren't some kind of tendency or some kind of tip off to BYU. Um, but it didn't look like the running backs were the problem. Nate Starks actually ran pretty well. He generated some tough yards and he's a big physical runner. Uh, but there just wasn't much to be had uh, in the running game. Well, big game uh, this weekend in the Rose Bowl, taking on, we already played their music, but I'll play it again, the number one team in the Podcast of Champions Power Rankings, Stanford Cardinal. And we've already talked about Stanford's previous game, but this one is interesting because Vegas opened this game as UCLA favored by one. Which is so crazy to me. Uh, Stanford is now favored by three. Um, it moved very, very quickly to favored by three. And actually some books have it as minus three and a half for Stanford, which is a big half point. Um, as we all know in the college football world. Um, so Stanford, number seven team in the country, UCLA. You know, I, I, I actually kind of understand why they have the line set the way it is. If you watch Stanford, if you watch them against USC, it, it ended up being a 17 point win for Stanford, but there were some vulnerabilities. Um, their defensive line, I liked them in the first game, but they weren't firing off the ball too well against USC. And the USC interior offensive line was able to get some push against them, especially through the first half. Um, and offensively, they're not, they're not particularly close to how efficient and great they were last year. They're going to get there. I think they'll be much better at the end of the year than they are right now. But Ryan Burns, I think they're still kind of learning to have trust in him. So I kind of get it. I just don't think UCLA is built to take advantage of what Stanford is necessarily weak at. Um, I think UCLA, their interior offensive line is maybe the biggest weak spot on the entire team. And so I don't know if they're built to take advantage of a Stanford defensive line that maybe looks a little bit, uh, a cup maybe a little bit below what it was um, two years ago. Um, Harrison Phillips for Stanford should be back for this one, their nose tackle, which I think it'll be a, Another boost for that Stanford defensive line. Um, you know, I think this is going to take a big game from Josh Rosen. I think he'll need to be um, what everyone was expecting him to be going into this season for UCLA to win this one. Um, and I'm just not confident that's going to happen. I think he's still ironing out the kinks in this new offense. Um, and I don't know that he's necessarily ready to put up a, a stellar performance against a team as good as Stanford. Um, I think he might still be... You know, I think he'll make improvements. I think he'll be a little bit better in this one, but I think he would need to be leaps and bounds better uh, for that offense to generate enough against a good Stanford team. And then defensively, if McKinley's not ready to go, and I think he's the big critical piece here, if he's not ready to go, Chris McCaffrey might have, he'll have 200 yards on the ground and 150 off tackle because nobody on this on this UCLA team is really good at containment aside from McKinley. Um, so... I think I like Stanford here, something like 28-24. I'm going to agree with you on that one. I couldn't believe that UCLA started off uh, as the favorite in this one. I think if if UCLA were scoring more points against BYU, uh, I'd give them a chance here. I know that was on the road, uh, but I think just 
I think Stanford just is so fundamentally sound. They're going to, like we said, beat you with a million paper cuts, but then, you know, hit something big with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I, I just, I kind of see it as a, you know, five, six, seven point game, something like that, more than a field goal, but probably close. But it's like a, a game that Stanford probably controls. UCLA has some chances to get in it, but they have to make some big offensive plays. They're not able to do it. And Stanford kind of holds on and wins by a touchdown or something like that. So I'll take Stanford, uh, given the points as well. Yeah, and it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be a close one. I think it'll be closer than UCLA's bad losses to Stanford over the last few years. Uh, but I think it'll be a, another Stanford win. They're ninth straight over UCLA. All right. We have, I think we have two teams left to talk about, but our number five team is California Golden Bears. <laughs> All right. So Cal, we left them for dead and then they rose from the dead. Uh, Cal beat Texas and this was a wild. <laughs> fun game <laughs> um this one was 35 33 at the half ended up 50 to 43 uh just back and forth crazy crazy fun um i really enjoyed watching this one because i was you know writing all my ucla stuff after the game and this game was still going because it was so high scoring um and it was just it was a lot a lot of fun you know back and forth back and forth back and forth so weird though that there were no points scored in the third quarter by either team uh but it was it was a, a lot of fun. Uh, Cal's offense looks like it has not missed a beat in the post Jared Goff era, and I think, you know, given how Goff has looked for the Rams in terms of uh, his preseason performance, maybe we're going to be talking about system quarterbacks coming out of Cal because maybe Goff wasn't as good as we all thought, and maybe it's just a matter of the system because Davis Webb went twenty-seven of forty for nearly four hundred yards, ten yards per attempt, and four touchdowns. That's pretty good. Um, uh, and on Texas's side, you know, I thought Shane Bichelle had a bit of a true freshman game, but he was still able to do some thing, do some things. They ran the ball really well in Cal. I don't think Cal has a defense, um, uh, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. They, they really, really poured it on offensively. And this was a wild thing because Cal, um, you know, they almost gave it up late because I think it was Vic and Wary, uh, dropped a, uh, well, he, he did the thing that seems to be the most popular thing in college football where he's almost into the end zone. And he, and he drops the ball before the end zone and Texas looked like it recovered, but there was some weird semantic thing that it wasn't an immediate recovery. And so then Cal got the ball back at the two yard line or whatever it was. Um, but that could have been very, very bad. Uh, Texas could have gotten the ball back and then could have been a, 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 a Texas win, um, there at the end. But this was a lot of fun. And I think Cal, um, clearly a dangerous team. They've got an offense. Don't have a defense, but if you've got an offense like that, you can uh, you can surprise some teams. It was baffling that these teams did not score in the third quarter. You're like, how did they, you know, they're just scored all over the place? Um, but for for Cal to do that, you know, losing Jared Goff, losing I think their top six receivers from last year, you're taking on you know Texas, who's an improved team. They you know they beat Notre Dame and Deshaun Kaiser, and you and just have you know, wait, you know Davis Webb look better than Kaiser did in the game, you know, against Texas and threw the ball over the field. I just really like the way they got this going. Maybe it is a system quarterback kind of thing, but they should put up points. It should be fun to watch. If you like offense, you should probably watch a lot of the Cal games. They're going to probably give up a lot of points and score a lot of points. Um, Texas had a curious decision, Dave, late in the game. I think it was about two minutes left, down seven, and they end up punting. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I don't know if that's the right call there. Now, they like you said, they could have got the ball back with that crazy play where you're dropping, you know, dropping the one yard line. Um, it looked like an immediate recovery to me. It was a, 
Within three seconds, a Texas player clearly picked up the ball. I don't think a whistle had blown at that point. Um, if a whistle blew, I could understand it. But it, it's one of those situations where you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, that was just just added. It was just a cherry on top of a, an amazing five-scoop Sunday with whipped cream and butterscotch sauce and hot fudge and all that. I mean, it was an amazing one. Yeah, that was tons of fun. And then they're taking on. Oh, I'm sorry. So give it to me. Give it to me. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> All right. So Arizona State on Friday night of last week, we pred- I, I predicted them to cover in this one. I don't know if you did. Did you? Yeah, we both picked uh, ASU in this one. They won by four, and it took a 17 point fourth quarter comeback to win this game. Uh, Manny Wilkins kind of came back to earth a little bit. Um, didn't throw the ball particularly well in this one. Arizona State also didn't run the ball super efficiently in this one. They averaged 4.3 yards a carry, uh, but it wasn't kind of the dominant ground performance I was expecting. Just kind of a weird, strange game. Um, and it looked like they were a little bit lethargic in this one. Um, only won by four over a, a Texas San Antonio team that isn't particularly good. Um, allowed a lot of stuff through the air. Uh, they shut them down pretty much on the ground, which was good to see, but um, allowed some some stuff through the air. I, I, I don't know what to make of ASU after this one because I was expecting them to be kind of like Cal, all offense, no defense, and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And I still think they probably are that team, but... Um, this was this was kind of disconcerting after they put together a couple of nice performances in the first two games. Yeah, it's weird that we have them number four. Uh, and just for the last game, too, we both had uh, Cal um, plus seven. So we both won the last one. But we both got this one wrong because we had ASU minus 20. And, uh, you know, UTSA won the turnover battle, uh, three nothing. There were, you know, a couple of punt returns that were big. Um, I mean, this is a team that lost to Colorado State, who Colorado absolutely destroyed. Yeah. And they really should have won this game. I mean, Arizona State was kicking field goals instead of touchdowns. Uh, but you know, late in the game, I think the Arizona State defense played better. They're not blitzing as much as they were before. Um, maybe, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but, uh, I think they had like four straight three and outs in the second half. So I think the Arizona State defense stepped up a little bit. They tried to come back. Um, it threw a pick, uh, a pick late that, um, looked like it could have been a touchdown, but it was overthrown. It was, uh, underthrown. Um, but they, you know, their quarterback was running around all over the place. Uh, and I, I just think they just, I don't know. I think they, UTSA kind of ran out of gas in this one, but it shouldn't have been this close. It just looked like Arizona State just was not, it's, it's, they weren't in it for a while. And I don't know. Sometimes you play a team and they're just on fire. And I don't know if that's exactly the case, but it just seemed like UTSA had a bunch of confidence and, it, you know, Arizona State did not. Um, they got a couple of late sacks. I thought they were good. They had a lot of tackles for loss, which is, you know, we've seen Todd Graham defenses do that, but, you know, winning by four against the UTSA team, uh, I just, it, you know, something's not right there. Yeah, for sure. So I just realized we didn't say the game time for Stanford UCLA. That's 5 p.m. on ABC, just so okay. you know. And then, uh, so this one is Cal versus ASU at 7 p.m. on ESPN2 on Saturday. So here's the funky part. We would have said Cal looked better than ASU probably last week, right? Yeah. ASU is favored by four um, at home against the Golden Bears. Um, and the most important number is the over-under, which is 82 and a half. 
<laughs> so no one is expecting either of these teams to play defense. Um, you know, I think it's actually a pretty good matchup for ASU. I understand the line a little bit. Um, their Cal's run defense is non-existent, and ASU's run game is very, very good in theory. Um, UTSA did did a nice job of limiting it. Uh, but Kalen Balaj, Demario Richard, and Manny Wilkins combined to give uh, give them a really good run look, and I don't think Cal is equipped to stop any of those guys. Um, Cal, though, should be able to take advantage of things in the air. This is going to be a true shootout. Like, tons and tons of fun, tons of points. Um, I think it's going to go similarly to the last one. Um, I think it'll be back and back and forth between Cal and Texas, because I think ASU might be a somewhat similar team to Texas um, in terms of their ground game. Um, I, I honestly have no idea who I'm picking here. Um, I think I'll take, I think I'll take Cal. I might take Cal outright. Nice. Yeah. I might take Cal outright. I think they'll take them like, uh, I don't know, 48, 44. How about that? I like it. I would have put this as a pick em. Um, so the fact that Cal's getting four points more than a field goal, I'll definitely take. If I'm getting Cal and some points, just like last week with Texas, seven points, I'm going to take them at this point. Um, yeah, I could see it. I mean, I could see this going a whole bunch of different ways. Does Arizona State get back to what they were doing well and running the ball and, you know, just, they could just pound Cal that way. But Cal, I mean, Arizona State's going to force some negative plays, but Cal just seems to have the ability to pick up a second 15. They pick up nine and then pick up the first down and keep moving where a lot of offenses can't do that. So I think, you know, even if you force them into a negative play, they're still able to move the chains on you sometimes more than, than other teams too. So I think Cal's going to score a bunch of points. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in the defense being able to shut down Arizona State's run game and they want to try to get back to the ways that they, you know, the way it was before. But I think Cal goes in the desert. Maybe not, maybe doesn't win, but be close enough that. Field goal game either way. Uh, so I'm getting four points. I'll take Cal and the points. All right. Well, that'll be, uh, I think that'll be the fun kind of, uh, you know, Pac 12 after darky type game on Saturday night. I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching that one after darky. I like it. Um, darky. So that's it. So that's our power rankings. We got them all in there and, uh, predicted all the games. We're doing well so far in our picks. Hope we keep them going this week. And, uh, should shorten the shows a little bit now that we'll have Pac-12 teams playing each other instead of talking about 10 different games or 11 different games. We'll just talk about six. It'd be five or six every week. Cool. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. This is the podcast of champions. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Enjoy all of the big weekend of Pac-12 football games and we will talk to you next time.